Person of Interest Podcast, episode number 30, Team Machine DC. You are being watched. An artificial intelligence, a machine protected by government agencies and deadly assassins, is spying on you every hour of every day. We designed this podcast as a means to share information that will aid in discovering and exploiting anything related to bringing down those who will use the machine to harm and exploit others. If you're listening to this podcast, your number has come up and you're part of our team. Hello, greetings, salutations, welcome to the Person of Interest podcast, a fan podcast dedicated to the awesome show called Person of Interest on CBS. I'm Daryl, and I prefer to use my refrigerator for keeping my food fresh, not for exploding bombs. So just to kind of get that out there and let everybody know how I use my refrigerator. Brings a whole new meeting to the term Cold War. Uh, how long have you been sitting on that one? <laughs> really, about 10 seconds. <laughs> that was great, man. <laughs> and I'm Doug, laughing over here on the side, trying to sell a used drone, only exploded once. That's it. <laughs> you know, lightly used. Yeah. Glad to have you with us, folks. Wow. Uh, this was a great episode. We are at the third to last episode. We're covering Person of Interest for Season 5, Episode 11, which originally aired... July 7th, 2016, entitled Synecdoche. Now, if you, again, had listened to the pre-season five episode of our lovely podcast, you would have heard that Synecdoche is a literary device. And I'm not really, you know, much on literary devices. I usually break them. But it uses a part of something. It's when you talk about a part of something to represent the whole, or even when you use the whole to represent a part of something. Uh, Synecdoche may also use larger groups to refer to smaller groups, back and forth, whatever. So it's, or it's calling something by the name of the material it's made of, or may refer to uh, something in a container or packaging by the name of the container. Anyway, so some examples. The phrase graybeard sometimes refers to an old man. Oh, he's just a, he's just a graybeard, you know, whatever. Well, you're referring to his one piece of him, the graybeard, referring to the whole, the old man. Um, sometimes people will say we sent 200 sails out to, uh, attack the enemy. A sail is part of the whole ship. Boots, boots on the ground. I mean, not just boots on the ground. It's actually complete soldiers, but there you go. And I like this particular one, the word suit to refer to a businessman. Oh, you got to pass it by the suits or the man in the suit. Yes. So, uh, that kind of thing. That's what a synecdoche is. Now, as I was watching the episode, I was trying to figure out what is it that they're referring to? Yeah, me too. Yeah. What'd you come you know, up I, with? I thought maybe, is, was it the president is a stand-in for the whole world, take him down, the whole world falls? Or is it the previous numbers who are representing all of Team Machine, you know, the, the three that we had at the end there? Or maybe Root's voice, just your voice as a representative for the machine? I don't know. That's a spokesperson. I don't know. But maybe we can uh, come up with that during the course of our rambling. Yeah, well, those were the ideas that I had, too, although I didn't think of the root voice, and I really like that one maybe the best. I thought, well, maybe it's the team machine, because there's more of them than what we thought, and and I don't know. I was, And then I thought, well, the president, you know, he does represent 
something larger than just himself. You know, you could say he even represents the entire free world. So that's that was another thought that I had. So I don't know, man. I don't know. It, it wasn't real clear to me. Um, or it could just be when he got the code. What was it? Uh, we've got it in our notes here that 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 Shaw knew represented Marine One. Well, that even represents Marine One represents the president. It's only called Marine One when he's on it, in fact. And mm-hmm. so that both the call signals of whatever it was that that the phone call said, plus the Marine One name, are representative of something larger than themselves. And so I thought, well, maybe that's what it, Synecdoche was. So. Mm. Well, and Marine One could also have been um, Relevant One, which is what the machine referred That's to true. the president. That's true. Yeah. Yep. Maybe that. Who knows? You can come up with your own ideas. Yeah. We yep. got lots of room for those. Well, and with a with a device, does that device connect to Wi-Fi? By the way, which device? Oh, the, the, the literary device. The literary, literary device. I'm. No, if, you actually have to. Uh, it's actually a nifty little thing where you take a a, a big bunch of pages, uh-huh. paper, and you open it up, and you have a direct, you know link from the page to your brain in something called a book it's uh it's really an amazing thing and uh, i think it's going to catch on <laughs> maybe it will um but with a device a literary device like that i mean there were no doubt various and sundry synecdoches in use during this episode so take your and i've always mispronounced that i have always mispronounced that i had no idea but i, I learned it for this uh, episode well i'm glad you did because i didn't know how to pronounce it i in fact until i heard you say it just now i was like okay now it's fresh in the brain so you could have pronounced it however you wanted and i would have followed suit <laughs> <laughs> well cool that's, well, that's our vocabulary word for the day. That's right. Vocabulary test. You can go to the water cooler tomorrow and impress your friends and boss with that. <laughs> so uh, anyway, this episode was written by J.C. Heldrick and Joshua Brown. So if you ever have a chance encounter with either of them, they could tell you what they meant when they called it synecdoche. And this was directed by Tim Matheson. Wonderful job, folks. It was, it was great. I really like this one. Um, as far as ratings go, uh, it got a 1.0 rating with 6.36 million viewers. That's about average for this season. Mm-hmm. With 6.36 million viewers, that's slightly fewer viewers, but a better rating than the two lead-ins, NCIS and NCIS New Orleans. Hmm. So, you know, that gives you an idea of how, uh, how well it's doing. It's still doing pretty well in its last season, even though it's, uh, the ratings are, are kind of soft versus the last at least two years that we've been looking at it. Uh, it won its time slot. It was the best in its time slot. And overall for the evening, it was fourth in terms of viewers. So again, this is you know, fourth in terms of viewers. And two of those were the, the lead ins to it. So, you know, this is a this is a ratings winner, I think, you know, especially for Thursday or for Tuesday nights. And it's too bad that this had to go away only because, um, you know, CBS wasn't making the money on it. Uh, Warner Brothers was. Yeah, it is a shame. That's what they do with Supergirl, too. They put it off to. Uh past year at the CW where I think it will just be a mega hit over there. They're going to keep it around mm-hmm. for a long time. So that's the way it works. We've got, uh, we've talked about that. I think we've beat that dead horse, but um, we've got a lot to, lots to talk about today in this, in this episode. We, we got a lot of comments about our last episode, which covered episodes nine and 10. We got uh, one comment that came in. Uh, I won't, repeat the uh, listener's name. I'll keep Dodge anonymous. Uh, but he said that we were too long winded, which 
Sorry, man. We had a lot to talk some, about. Some, Lots of great some feedback. Marathons, some marathons would uh, finish sooner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like I said, we, we'll keep that identity secret. Uh, we also got some uh, several feedbacks in, and, and some of them were like Scott here, who uh, let us know something that we overlooked. Here's Scott. Hey, Daryl. This is Scott from Cape Cod calling about uh, person of interest. I'm halfway through uh, the person of interest your person of interest podcast where you you call it a eulogy or Elias and Requiem or Root. And um, you're at the point where you and Doug are talking about waiting for the yellow box to come around Fusco. Now, you did figure out that it was in the opening credits of the next episode. However, if you go back at the end of the episode um, where Finch tells Fusco about the machine, and they all meet up under the bridge overlooking the Hudson, overlooking the city. And um, Fusco and Reese show up and get out of the car. And at that point, you didn't hear me yell? At that point, Fusco got out of the car and his box was yellow. Go back and look at that. It was just so fantastic. It was just unbelievable. This is the best show I've ever seen. And I've seen them all, and I've listened to your podcast through Lost and Fringe and many of the other ones, uh, you know, 12 Monkeys, you know, a lot of your podcasts. Every show I watch that you have a podcast where I listen to, and and uh, this is the, absolutely the best show I've ever seen. I can't wait for July, buy the whole series, watch it all again. So uh, anyway, if I said uh, when Finch told Fusco, I was wrong. It was Reese that told Fusco, but I may have said Reese. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Go back and look at the end of that episode uh, where he tells him, and you'll see the yellow box when he gets out of the car. It's awesome. Thanks. All right. Well, thank you, Scott. We had we had several other people, or a few other people, write in and let us know that we had missed that. Um, so thank you guys for keeping us straight. I don't know how we both missed that. I know Man, I watched it twice. Are. I think you did too. So we have no mm-hmm. excuse, and, and we appreciate you keeping us in line. Oh man, it's so humbling. <laughs> that's all right. That's that's what the uh, we all we are all stronger together. And he mentioned he's going to get uh, season five when it comes out on DVD. I, I mentioned it last week, but I didn't give the date. And I was right; it is mid July. Uh, specifically, I've got it pulled up here. July nineteenth is when it's available on Amazon. You can go ahead and pre-order it right now, so you can get the complete series. Or just season five if you already have the others, July 19th. And if you want to get that using our code and give us a little uh, kickback, you can go to goldenspiralmedia.com slash Amazon. That'll redirect you over to Amazon, and then anything you purchase, we will earn a little commission for that. So yeah, Commission, not kickback. Wait, wait, we don't know. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I, and I <laughs> probably should choose my language a little bit more carefully on that. So, All right, we also got this one in from Brian. Here's what he had to say. This is Brian from Canada regarding the Person of Interest podcast, and it's regarding the most recent podcast for Season 5, Episodes 9 and 10, Eulogy for Elias, Requiem for Root. You ponder why Lionel was not read in until now, and that logic may have been flawed by the writers, considering that after the cafe patio opening of Season 5, Episode 10, where Harold met Grace originally, his cover is blown based upon his past actions, and when he discusses this with Root, they both agree that Samaritan was tracking their past behavior now for anomalies. Samaritan also <clears throat> interprets the lack of gang interaction around the double Bs as an anomaly and sends the troops after Harold. 
We're also led to understand that the machine and Samaritan can now likely start to predict individual behavior. If you can accept that Reese, Shaw, Root, and of course Harold are professionals, and the latter two are experts in understanding the AI, we are shown what happens even when an expert makes a mistake. Lionel, as great as his character has developed, is not on the same page as the other four. Thus, no one could have likely got him killed long ago. Amy Acker mentioned in Dallas to get the Kleenex out, so who knows if Lionel may pay for this knowledge with his life. I hope not, and the same for others, but it seems that we may not be looking forward to a happy ending for our team of protagonists. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I was at Fan Expo Dallas over the weekend and didn't get the chance to meet with Amy one-on-one, unfortunately. We did have that request, and we were hoping it would be granted, and uh, it did not. So, But I did get to attend the panel, and if you're listening to this, I'm assuming that you're subscribed and you already heard that. But if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't heard the Amy Acker panel, it's in the feed. It's in the podcast feed. It's about 45 minutes long. And, you know, she couldn't say too much. She did tease quite a bit and she towed the line a little pretty close on a couple of things. Although she mentioned one of the things that she towed the line on was that she said she was back the very next week after having been killed. So I thought that meant that she we were going to see Amy Acker in this episode and she wasn't just referring to the voice because the voice doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Like, we would she even have to go on set? You could go to a you know, voice wherever they re- do voiceovers for that. and so. But maybe that's enough of the same place where she saw some of the same people. I don't know, right? So, but that's all we got of her this, unless there was something that got cut, maybe. Um, but we didn't see Amy Acker physically on screen this week. So that was one of the things that she said was, I, I was killed. And then the very next week, I was back again. And so I can only presume something got cut or she was talking about her voiceover work, which we kind of assumed when she, the, the machine took over her voice at the end of the last episode. So. Um, but anyway, that was a really good one. And she did warn us. And, and the producers had also warned us earlier in the season that there was going to be some sadness coming our way. So we just, I don't think Root is go- and Elias are going to be the end of our sadness, Doug. I just don't know. That's why, that's really the reason why we started the Live Another Day contest, because their comments led us to believe that there was going to be a pretty high death count. And so that's yeah. kind of what led to that conversation, which then led to, you know, the contest. So. We'll see. We have two episodes left. Yeah, we're coming down to uh, when a lot of people were predicting uh, some people kicking the bucket. So mm-hmm. we should start seeing some uh, things happen really cool. Nothing, uh, or no, cool, but something <laughs> have to change in the, uh, in the uh, contest. Thank you. Yeah, nothing cooler than all of our heroes dying, Doug. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, okay, Maybe so you should out. choose your words more carefully. <laughs> Oh, man. We have a Gordon Ramsay fan, apparently, amongst our listeners. Uh-huh. And uh, and he wrote and said, uh, or he or she, who knows? Because um, Gordon's a guy, but who knows? That's it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. What do I know? Hey, Daryl and Doug. Hi. Uh, just finished watching QSO, and I remembered something that relates to Samaritan giving signals to operatives via radio. And after racking my brain, I finally encountered this article on number stations, which are which after reading gave me the creeps. Anyway, it might be a good piece for surveillance in the news. Enjoy the article. I'll be catching up with the next few episodes soon. Now, I looked at this article, and I've actually seen, I'm going to put it in the show notes. I've actually seen an article about this some years ago. What these are, apparently, are like uh, relics of the Cold War when 
uh, you know, the R- Russians or the United States or somebody else was trying to send messages to their spies. And so the idea was you are sending out a coded message on a shortwave radio. So it's, you know, gets big coverage. And so you can't tell who's picking it up. It's just, you know, just sending a signal and that's it. And they would just recite numbers. Boom, boom, boom. And then every so often there would be something that would break the message up. So, okay, now we're starting over and, you know, here's the message over again or a new message or things like that. And so some of these stations were given names like the music they played between uh, messages or the, the, the accent of the person reading the numbers. Uh, numbers, interestingly, you know, being this person of interest. So, yeah, that's been around a while. And that, there were a lot of shortwave radio people would, you know, try to, you know, find those uh, stations out and try to listen to them and see if they could break the code. But um, some of them are still, I think, just cranking away out there. Mm-hmm. Really weird. Yeah, that is kind of creepy. Yep. But, yeah, I'll, I'll add that to the show. It's really cool. We also got this in from Jason. He says, have you done a roundup of all the ratings, DVR, catch-up, and live combined to get a feel of how many viewers there have been, considering the episodes have been all over the place? And I have not. I know you have a magical spreadsheet of joy, Doug. Is that Have you done that? Um, as far as all the ratings, DVR, catch-up, live, and all that, the short answer is no. Okay. The long answer is not really. <laughs> I get the numbers from the day bef- the day of the current the day of, and that's pr- pretty much all I do as far as getting that. Uh, so. Okay, that's an even that's an even longer answer. Yeah. Okay. All righty, and then Aaron wanted to. Hey, he he must have you know missed a, a lot here because he didn't get a chance to write this, and he wrote this in a little later. And wow, he talked about the day the world went away. He said it's such an appropriate title for the events of the hundredth episode. The alternate titles for the day the world went away would be more like. No! Why? Or No! Not rude! Why? Why, writers? Why? <laughs> That's the good. title, again, worked too. Ah. <laughs> Given the details to the opening credits, I wonder if we'll see Amy doing the intro speech for the final two episodes, given next week is an AU episode. Is that... What does AU mean? Acker Unleashed? I'm not sure you get what AU means. Alternate Universe? Universe? Uh, don't think that. The Bluebirds, yes. It would be fitting given she's now Mac Root and definitely speaks for the machine now. So, Machine Root, Mac Root. The end of park scene wide shot was a nice callback to the pilot. Amy totally stole the standoff scene. You can't live with killing me, and I can't live without you. I don't know what's going to happen next, but I'm ready if you are. Had they gotten a full 22-episode season, I wonder if we would have seen more from the shoot reunion. If this episode and the next are simulations, great. It means we get Root's body back. If the season is a simulation, then okay. Or maybe even half the season is a simulation, then okay. But if they say the whole season is a simulation, then I'm personally going to feel disappointed. I agree. Mm -hmm. Not that it's completely unbelievable to this world, but it would just feel disappointing some that the whole thing... Felt like a waste of time. The show is great. Knowing these events ahead of time are critically are critical information that people would love to have. And I'd love to see, and I love seeing characters still alive, but there would still be this whole really vibe to it, for me at least, on a small level. Unless it's just done in some amazing way, which with these writers is entirely, entirely possible. Again, person of interest is geared for a possible ending like this, and I'm up for some of it being a simulation. But the whole thing, I don't know. These writers are good, though, and if anyone could make it work, it's probably this team. 
Root, to me, isn't fully dead. She's just become Mac Root. Root believes she's with the machine, so I have to believe she's she's with the machine as Mac Root. That would be an upside to the whole series being the answer to a question Harold asked. Everyone will be fully alive, and the AU episode for the next week hints at what they would be doing in the world without a machine. I guess it's alternate universe, yeah. If some of them are still dead, that would suck, and thus again, I would feel... Let's not make the whole thing an answer. Maybe just all of it up until the part where Harold doesn't give the machine to the government. Mm. That way the machine is still in the world, so the team is alive, but they're not all heading yet towards a battle with Samaritan. Then maybe that will save them. McRoot is nice, but I'd rather have longer with Shoot first, and then decades later we see Root and the machine becoming McRoot when Root dies from old age. Oh, there you go. The answer to a question idea doesn't, isn't sounding so bad now. Another series ending I've heard from a fan credited to Everyday Geek on fanfiction.net, an archive of our own, is MacRoot's dialogue from the Comic-Con trailer, or the first episode, is her talking to Harold, who's going through memory loss, so she's fulfilling his original plan for the machine to be a memory device. Hmm. They pointed out Harold has, has been seeing Grace when she's not really there. You've got a cafe called Dream, and again, it's not an unrealistic jump that Harold would be open to memory loss as his father had it. Mm. Mm. I like that. It would be. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that before. Mm-hmm. I, I, let me just say it again. I hadn't remembered that, but that's, thank you. <laughs> it would be an interesting callback if this was the case. I'm not sure how completely satisfying it would be on a scale of 1 to 10, but I wouldn't find it unfitting to the series. What are your thoughts on this as a possible series ending as well? Again, credit Everyday Geek for the idea. Elias was a good character, but I would have left him dead at the end of season. <laughs> but that's one thing POI has always been good with. If you're going to die on a show, then you want it to be POI because they'll make it fitting for your character. I love what John Nolan said about the big gun scene. He said in an interview, he was saving that stunt scene for a movie. That's I imagine he's talking about with uh, Root out, the, wind, out the, the top of the car, shooting this big gun and driving with her foot. That's what I'm thinking, yeah. Uh, he, uh, but he felt he was saving it for a movie, but he felt it was too perfect not to give it to Amy in this episode because he knew she'd do it justice. So he put it in person of interest instead of saving it for a movie. Mm. Cool. Jeff, the painter has to go. <laughs> <laughs> it was one thing when he was just stealing stuff for Samaritan or trying to protect this girl he knew, but this he did because he was an agent like all the other bad ones and killing Root's body just makes you unredeemable with that. So he has to go again. I'd love to see. I'd love to see it be shot to call back to Root and Martine, calling back to the Root and Martine scene at the end of season four, but it's another team machine who kills him. But if it's another team machine who kills him, that's okay too. And Root, a.k.a. Amy Acker, is the reason I even started this series. So she definitely has a special place in my heart when it comes to this series. I'm not happy about it, but I'm okay with it, is a great way to describe Root's bodily exit. Mm-hmm. The writers did reveal in a recent interview that at least Bear survives. So there is him. Oh, it gives away. Well, everybody voted for Bear anyway. <laughs> yeah, nobody thought Bear was dying. <laughs> uh, Shaw, I hope Shaw survives too, because I'm not sure how they could make her death more fitting than they had in If Then Else. Yeah. Even 6741 was emotional, but doing it a third time, I don't think would be the same result. Yep, I agree. As another listener, can't remember the name, said previously, why bring her back? from the dead if you're going to just kill her off again. Yep. Mm-hmm. Another reason they may have killed Root's body in episode 10 is because we only have 13 episodes, and episode 11 
is an alternate universe episode, so that leaves only two episodes to really showcase Mac Root and how she's this unit, but still individual, uh, machine and Root. So, there you go. I love you two teasing each other over the name placement. So funny. Doug and Daryl were fine. It's not um, a joke. It's not a joke. It's Daryl or nothing. <laughs> what am I? Nothing? <laughs> Alrighty. Okay. Thank you, Aaron. That was wonderful. Yeah. Thanks, Aaron. Um, alternate universe. You know, I don't think that's where we were in this episode. I, th- I mean, alternate in the sense that, yeah, there was another team machine, but it was all in the same universe, right? Did I yeah, miss I something? Yeah. I mean, and, and I don't, I th- it sounded like he got that information from somewhere, like somewhere in, somewhere else was calling it an AU. And um, I didn't, I didn't see that beforehand. And after having watched it, because you know, I, I really do stay away from all that stuff beforehand. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider this to be an alternate universe, an alternate team, you know, you know, open up our, our minds and eyes to the reality of a larger universe of the machine, but not an alternate one. Yeah. I think, I think this is all uh real reality as opposed to. Yeah. Thing. And this came in beforehand. So let's, I mean, just yes. Aaron, we're not, I'm not bagging on you. I hope I don't mean that. At least I hope it didn't come across that way. I'm just uh, giving my point of view there. All right, and we have one more to, uh, that came in uh, in between episodes here. From, this one came in from uh, Brian. I don't know if this is Brian from Canada or not, so we're including it. Just it in- is, and in fact, when he was uh, when he when his audio was going, I realized, wait a minute, and I scrolled down, and a lot of that was right there. So I got it out, and so this is just the new stuff. Oh, okay. Thank you for that, Doug. Uh, he says, whether it be reality or simulation, Harold has now been exposed to the government after all those years from his youth and the trees in charge, further complicating his existence. He would have to be once again deeply underground if he survives. Harold and Father, back in season one or two, at the very at the last visit he made to his father, the feds pulled up into the nursing home on their way to talk to his father, and Harold left quickly. He also mm-hmm. left his father with an ornithology book, hence his usage of the names uh, reflective of birds and we're going to get some other great feedback about uh, birds here um, and when we get to our, mm-hmm. our regular feedback segment uh, and then he says congratulations on your great podcast especially POI I love um, I have your podcast in apps on both my phone and my tablet so you can hear us in both ears there you go <laughs> that's right well thank you thank you Brian appreciate that and and Scott you mentioned earlier that you are a big fan and you have you've been following us so in the beginning, from the fringe days, I recognize your name, and you've been with us for so long. And and so, older old listener or new listener, we're grateful for all of you. So thank you so much. All right, one thing else we're grateful for are uh, ratings that we get in from all of you fantastic listeners. We didn't get as many ratings in this week. I'm not sure how uh, to interpret that. If that means you didn't like it, or maybe you didn't get a chance to get it in, but we did get some in. Uh, I'll kick it off with mine, which was nine turns on the merry-go-round. Mm-hmm. I gave it ten pot shots at POTUS. Oh, I really like this episode. <laughs> this yeah. good. I, like your, I like your rating. Zachary Chong gave it 9.5 people of the past. Very nice. Benjamin Jensen gave it nine. If Amy leaves, her husband comes. It's, it's in her contract, yeah. You can kill me, but you got to deal with hubs next week. So yeah, That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Team Yellowbox gave it seven. I miss you, Roots. Seven? Oh, man. Um, Bad Wobot gave it nine doomed backdoor pilots. <laughs> you got it. 
Linda is Lost gave it 8.5 ornithological metaphors, which relates to her feedback that I've already teased. And now I'm teasing it again because we tease like that. And finally, Sophie gave it 9.7 new recruits. Sophie's a new addition to the feedbacking. Uh, and we'll see her feedback a little later in the uh, we'll tease that too. Man, alive. That's you guys right. are going to be all psyched for this feedback. That's right. It's going to be amaze balls with glitter. <laughs> Got to be better with glitter. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Douglas. Uh, let's talk about this uh, fantastic episode. Got uh, really two storylines that uh, we're dealing with here. We have the Harold storyline where he's going off to San Antonio, and then we have the rest of the team back in New York. Uh, initially dealing with the burial of Root at an anonymous grave. And this was a really sad way to end, uh, to, excuse me, to begin the episode. It's raining, and I'm wondering as I'm watching this, did they, like, was that, you know, sometimes they get the fire hose, right, and make it look like it's raining? Or was that actually a rainy day in New York, and they were like, this is perfect? Whichever it was, it needed to be a rainy day when they buried our favorite character. My favorite character. Yeah, yeah. It, it was just, like you said, it was a pauper's grave, unmarked, just a number. Um, and he, Fusco got the last word. Rest in peace, Coco Pops. <laughs> Which was great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I looked at, her, her grave did have a marker on it, and it was 050313. And I looked to see, you know, what episode would have aired around that time. And so that would have been, I have it pulled up here. I guess I scrolled down. Here it is. Um, so if you take that and turn it into a date, that's May 3rd, 2013. There was not an episode on that date. But on May 2nd, 2013, there was a day, an episode. It was called Zero Day, which was an amazing episode. That's where we get yeah. Thornhill. And that's the one... Um, they the machine calls on the phone and like they're all trapped and and the machine they like transfer the phone to the other phone and so root and reese can both hear if i remember right and it's like it ends with can you hear me and and then that's like the how the episode ends it was a great great episode it was a season finale wasn't it no no it was a penultimate episode doug yeah (laughs) there's your other um vocabulary word of the that's day. right i get to use that more next week as your preview um so i but i i mean i read through the the review of that and and or the recap of that and i mean i could maybe force some hey here's why they did that because this was the day after that maybe nah i don't know i don't think it means anything as much as i want it to her grave marker to mean something if if it means if that date is significant it's lost on me so all of you listening if if you picked up on a significant meaning there let us know but it seems yeah, like it. Yeah. I mean, that's a number that's a date, and it's, it's a date that falls within the timeline of our series. So I'd like to think it means something, but I couldn't figure it out. Now, it could be a, uh, a European style date. So this could be uh, March, March 5th. March 5th. Okay, let me scroll up and see what aired on March 5th. Instead of May 3rd. Uh, nothing. Uh, March 7th would have been the closest episode. That episode was Proteus. Hmm. Yeah. So. Anyway. All right. That's your job, folks. Get out there and, and do, do do the legwork, and we'll just talk about it. <laughs> I did some legwork. It just didn't result with anything. Don't make it sound like I'm lazy. Good. No, 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 no. It was good. It was good. All good. I love the next shot they had of Shaw on the playground. I mean, that was just, you know, 
they're just needling you one more time, a little poke to the old uh, emotions there. Of, yeah. Because that's, you know, in all the simulations, that was kind of where she uh, she wound up and uh, killed herself in many of those. And she, she's feeling for the implant, you know, making sure that, uh, is it still there? Is it not, you know, or, you know, so that was, it, it kind of shows, yeah, and we see a little later as well, but she is still not entirely sure she's out of the sim. I mean, she went from South Africa to New York City via the desert southwest and is still not entirely sure that she is um, out of that. So that's, I mean, I think that's, um, I think that's reasonable. I think that's perfectly reasonable. Yeah. Now, I'm going to ask a stupid question, Doug. Um, she keeps, you know, touching the back of her head. She did it last episode, too, and I don't think we really discussed it that much, if at all. She did it a couple of times in this episode. And when they show that close-up, which they did in this episode, I don't see a a wound there or anything. So was the implant all only, did that only exist in the, in the simulation where, so did she actually not ever have really have an implant put into her? I don't think she ever had an implant. I think, you know, like in the simulation she did, but mm-hmm. I believe that was also the location of one of the like electrodes that uh, was either uh, monitoring her or helping to, um, to create the simulation, it was maybe not the uh, goggles and whatnot. So and she was feeling that maybe, you know, both in the sim and maybe, maybe in the sim, the, uh, the tracker was put in there because there was an electrode there in the real life. So, yeah. I and that makes a lot of sense. And I was thinking that the, the, the implant was there in real life. Even when she was touching it last week, I thought she's just, I, she's touching it but just to try to figure out reality. But when we got the close up this week and there was no, no wound there, I thought, well, I guess, I guess that was only in the simulation. It was just, it wasn't actually really there. And she is not ready to uh, jump into a new, uh, a new number. And it's like, you know, one thing after another, after another, and I'm not yeah. going to do this anymore. She shouldn't be. I mean, this is what we've said before. I mean, root was the same way where it's like, look, we, why are we taking numbers from the machine? we, have a bigger objective here and that's where she's at she's like i'm done helping grandmas cross the street and <laughs> I, I love we don't really talk about john a whole lot well really we should we should break that further and just say we don't talk about jim a whole lot i mean jim is an actor i think in this show he just kind of flies under the radar because his character is just whispery calm collected kicking butt he's he's amazing but because he's so even all the time, I don't think that we really talk, spend a lot of time talking about the work that Jim has done on this show. And he's been spectacular. And to me, this this episode was one of those where Jim kind of got to take the lead a little bit. Um, Reese did, and therefore Jim, because Finch is out of the picture. Finch is off doing his own thing. And so like in this scene here, for me, when he's there with Shaw and trying to get her back on task even though she doesn't want to be she's mourning and grieving in her own way for mm-hmm. a woman who doesn't really have the ability to emote and she's going to use that as kind of motivation when it comes to interrogation time a little bit later in the episode is here's a guy who can emote and he's squandering those relationships she's lost her deepest relationship and she can't really emote about it you know she's just not wired that way never has mm-hmm. been and so, so anyway, Reese is trying to kind of trying to to get her back in, in in as as best he can, and so Jim was given a little bit more there 
to work with. It wasn't just the same even Reese that we always get. He's he's doing a little bit more, and it was it was nice to see that. In earlier in this season, we've seen him smile a few times. You know, even though it was in the simulation. Uh, when they were in the diner together, we saw him smile. We don't see him smile a whole lot. He's got a great smile. <laughs> so anyway, I I just thought I would just take a moment here and just kind of give it up to what Reese did in this episode. But it all kind of comes behind the work that Jim Caviezel is putting into this character. And some of the things he does are very subtle and nuanced, but that doesn't mean that they're not fantastic. So anyway. And he's up against uh, Amy Acker, who is very... Emo- not emotional per se, but 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 uh, you know, very uh, bubbly. Yes, you know, there you go. Yeah. Better term. yeah, you know. So that there's a real contrast there. You've got Fusco, who is you know, kind of a stereotypical New York uh, cop, and he's very colorful, and he's got the funny words and the names for people and things like that. Um, and so he's got to work with those, you know, up against them. And like you said, he he kind of usually is in the background doing a job, you know. But yeah, this time he was really, uh, he, he was the urgency in his voice, the emotion in his voice and his face even. That's what, <laughs> and that's the one thing I really, uh, that jumped out at me when he's on the phone uh, telling uh, uh, Shaw what the, uh, the new number is, HMX1. And he wasn't sure what that was, you know. So we got a, we've got a new number, but uh, yo, you guys don't even know what this number is, do you? Yeah. It's a good the thing president. it was something like HMX1 because Shaw, I, I still don't think he would have been able to talk Shaw and to come and help grandmas cross the street had the number not been such such a big deal. They touch on it here, which honestly, Doug, when they touch on it here in this scene, I didn't think anything of it. So I'm glad they revisited it at the end of the episode. But what they did is they said, hey, that's the code for Marine One. That's the president of the United States. And that was that was an obvious clue that, hey, those numbers shouldn't be coming to this level. They should be routed to the government level. And so yeah. they, they came back to it at the end of the episode to let everybody know this is a huge deal that our team was called in to protect the president. That never should have happened. But I'm sure there were some some really quick-thinking listeners out there who were like, uh, they they Wait, did they did really catch the gravity of that re, that 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 number at the very beginning of the episode. For me, I was like, "Wow, that's cool!" But I already knew the president was going to be their number this week, so I just really didn't. I I just like, okay, we're in. Boom! I didn't think anything of it, and so yeah. Well, I figured the president was going to be visiting New York. Yeah, that's true. I, well, I didn't. I honestly, I didn't think about that, but I I I didn't know how they were going to cross paths because it's not really. Something that they would normally do. And, of course, Thornhill had to step in to help those paths connect. Yeah, that was nice to bring back that name, at least. Uh, we, we, we've seen it dropped uh, every so often. It was nice to get the, uh, oh, yeah, that's still back out there. It's, you know, the machine is still running Thornhill Enterprises and uh, coming up with new identities. And I guess that's how Root was getting hers. Yep. And, when the, the you know... Of course, they set up the drama. It was really great where <laughs> where she yells, you know, Shaw's yelling at the at the camera there, and you see kind of the circular, you know, zeroing in on Samaritan, and this car pulls up. It's like, oh, oh here come the guns. No. Yeah. It's, uh, agents of uh, Thornhill. Well, it even said dispatch agents or dispatch, yes. you know, goons, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> and agents then. Was that like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? I'm not, I'm not quite. It's something like, that. yeah, Agents of Thornhill, yeah. Uh, so, but when he drives off, the you know, and the Samaritan POV changes because now the new identity has been the hook has been set. 
uh, it said, you know, calling off or canceling agents or something like that. So it worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's uh, machinist now. You know, really doing more than just reciting numbers to the team and saying, "Handle it, handle it." Yep. So that gets her into this uh, fifty thousand dollar plate fundraiser, and she doesn't get a plus one. So John's got to oh. find his own way in. And this was really cool. Had me. I mean, I didn't. I didn't see it coming at all. I thought it was really, really weird that we got Logan Pierce. I didn't think that was weird. I thought it was cool. But mm-hmm. then when we get was it is it Jeremy? Who's the who's the guy we get later on? Yeah, I believe so. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joey, Joey Durbin. Joey. Um, oh, yes. I thought, well, that's really weird. Why are they giving us two callbacks? I don't feel the need for this. And then of course we get um, Harper. Harper and. I mean, Harper's a fresh, you know, thing, and and we got a lot of her last season. So, again, I thought, okay, well, cool. Harper's back, too. Why not? You know? So, when they tied it all in at the end of the episode, I was like, I never saw that coming. But especially here at the beginning, Logan Pierce uh, shows up perfect. And when you when you realize on the rewatch that what Logan's purpose is, I mean, at first it was like, well, that was kind of lucky timing on Reese's part no it wasn't <laughs> there was nothing lucky about that he showed up right when he was supposed to because he is looking out for Reese Reese is his number and so that's really cool on the rewatch now and Joey was not you know Logan kind of uh, worked his way into I mean the connection there made sense because it got Reese into the the cocktail party yeah the Harper appearance got Fusco out of a tight spot yep the Joey Durbin thing, uh, that was a little forced, except that later on it pays off. But at that moment, it's like, hey, I'm doing lunch. You know, yeah. it, it didn't quite, it, I was, you know, and this is, and I didn't think about this until later that, that Reese was saying, I think I've been made. I think I'm, I feel like I'm being watched. Well, yeah. you are being watched. You're know? <laughs> you being um, watched. But the, it was not just the machine and, and partially that, but also it was uh, the members of, you know, Team Machine DC. That was really well done. I, I, I really enjoyed how they, they kind of brought that all together. Yeah. So, yeah, it was so cool. Now, uh, I guess this is as good a time as any since we are kind of talking about their role. But, you know, we had one of the ratings that said this is a failed backdoor pilot. We named our episode uh, Team Machine DC, which is something CBS likes to do. We have CSI Miami and CSI and CSI Cyber. And CIS and, Los Angeles. Yeah. And... and, and New Orleans and all these other things. So, you know, this was their chance to do a person of interest DC and, and start the franchise. I don't think it was meant to be a backdoor pilot. Well, it was, if I recall the article, you know, they were writing the, this season as though it would be the last, cause CBS. Yeah, exactly. Out. Right. Yeah. But they wanted to leave a way out in case somebody else wanted to, you know, they didn't want to shut the door completely. They want to leave it open a crack. And I think this is the crack in the door. Yeah, that's. I think that's exactly what it is. It could be a retroactive backdoor pilot, and it does. In, in fact, uh, actually, we, we got some feedback that mentions that. With the, the point I was about to make about answering some holes, if you want to call them that. So I'll, I'll save my. I'll save the. I'll let the yeah, listener great feedback. feedback. Some great feedback coming, yeah. folks. Yeah. Stay tuned. Teaser again. All right, let's get back to the uh, episode. <laughs> what are we doing? Then. Oh yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. I liked Reese's line. Oh, it was classic. Oh, I, I I I turned down a job at the Secret Service. And I was waiting. Yeah, why is that? Well, you know, you work around the clock. You don't get to choose who you protect, and the threats never stop coming. It's like, 
And you're doing what now? Yeah. How's that different, really? <laughs> yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad somebody, you know, one of the characters recognized that too. You know, I'm I'm sure it was a laugh line that the writer said, "Hey, wait a minute, I got it." And <laughs> yeah. and, and congratulations, folks. You made me laugh. Yeah. So okay, we we get Reese in. Of course, um, Shaw is already in. And she gets the conversation with the other congressman's wife. wife. Senator's wife, yeah. And I don't know, man. I'd like to know what your your feeling on on that conversation was. I mean, I was... Because they're talking about surveillance. And it's like, that's not a throwaway conversation. Now, did did I ID as the congressman's wife, senator's wife, sorry, as, you know, the perp, if you will? No, yes. no, oh, yeah. But I knew that that was a like that was a significant conversation, and so they were going to be, you know, involved more than just that one little scene in this episode. I knew it was going to kind of be our introduction to something bigger going on. Yeah, no, they, I think I thought that the idea was just to have that conversation, and at least to get the line out that you can't have a hundred percent privacy mm-hmm. and a hundred percent security. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah so that was. I mean, that that's kind of. You know, that's the modus operandi of this uh, whole uh, series to kind of point that out and the issues with, uh, you know, balancing one with the other. So I thought maybe that was just an opportunity to get that line in it. I didn't I didn't realize, you know, I didn't think that the uh, senator's wife was going to show up again. And sure enough, there she is. Yeah. In a really big way. Now, we see the gun at first pointed at Shaw's back. uh, And then, you know, the camera pans to reveal dun, dun, dun. And I wasn't entirely shocked, but I was like, oh, okay, this is cool. This is a nice little twist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I'm getting ahead of myself because we have a bomb to take care of first. That's right. That's right. Don't tease the rest of the episode. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, and here's the thing, too. When they go, you know, searching around to see if there's something else going on, and, and I thought it was a little convenient that Reese Hammond manages to uh, smell paint where yeah. there is brick, and so it shouldn't, you know, he had me walking around right where it is. Yeah. And I was thinking, and you know, they didn't mention it in the episode, but I thought, you know, before he was a Samaritan operative, Jeff was painting. Mm. You know, our wonderful, you know, latest uh, Samaritan goon. He was a painter. And I thought, well, what if he had something to do with it? They never went back to it. But I was, that was just something that anytime you mention paint now, that's all I'm going to think of. Yeah. Well, you know, um, Aaron, I think in his feedback that we read just a little bit ago, he mentioned how. Now that Jeff, the painter, killed Root, no mercy, right? And Mm -hmm. you and I had talked a few episodes ago, uh, I think it was after the hospital episode, about how he had more layers than Martine had, and we could even kind of root for him a little bit. But I think Aaron brings up a good point, and that is, he killed Root, and any kind of, I mean, yeah, he's still a, a character that we can empathize with a little bit. But he crossed a line, I think, in the line in, in the eyes of the viewer, where I I'd be shocked if there are any viewers who are rooting for him now. You know what I mean? I'm not. Forget it. You killed Root. That was my favorite character. <laughs> You're gonna die, sucker. You know. I mean, you get a neck snap in, in your future, as far as I'm concerned. Right? Do you feel the same way? Well, yeah, I, I think so too. But I think as well, though. Whereas Martine was rather one-dimensional, we didn't know much about her backstory at all. She was just evil, evil, evil. Yeah. This guy had, you know, was trying to get his life back together, got suckered into this. He's delved down into the depths of, you know, Samaritan. And we feel it, it, 
we when when Martine got her, you know, come up and you know that's oh that's good that's that was supposed to happen. When it happens to Jeff, and I think it's going to, I think it's going to hit us a little harder because mm-hmm. you know this guy had a shot at redemption, yes, and he squandered it, and so you know there's a, there's more of a textured character, if you will, uh, in him than there was in Martine, and it'll be a tougher. It won't be just oh, Samaritan goon died. So what? Yeah, uh, no, I agree with that. You're you're absolutely right. Yep. So the bomb goes off. It's kind of they kind of pulled the Indiana Jones thing, except it was the <laughs> the inverse. Instead of the refrigerator protecting you from the bomb, as long as you're inside it, the refrigerator protected you from the bomb as long as the bomb was inside of it. So that was good because that was one of my favorite moment, moments of all of Indiana Jones history was that refrigerator scene. So the surviving nuclear blast from inside the fridge. Yeah, yes, yeah. Although this was much more believable than you said, the nuclear blast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but after that, we got the message on the TV that said, tonight was just a warning. Stop the illegal spying. Shut down the mass surveillance program or the president dies tomorrow. Now, this was an important thing because up to this point, I'm thinking, hey, it could be Samaritan that's behind this whole thing. They could They could take down the president and, you know, it would probably work in their best interest. And I still think there's a chance that that was, except when you see this, it's like, oh, well, these, these, are, these are a group of people that are against the government spying. Vigilance is back. Yeah, exactly, right? right? Except Vigilance was actually just a patsy group designed by Samaritan. So this yeah. actually could be the very same thing. Yeah, yeah, who knows, who yeah. knows. And, you know, yeah, these people. Now, if they do that again, though, that, that yeah, wouldn't be... Yeah, I, it's going I to the cookie jar a little too many times, right? Yeah, I'd be surprised if the writers did that again. I would too. I would too. Yeah, that would be a little too much, you know, the, the whole season of vigilance, and then this, it's like, wait a minute, dudes. Okay, yeah. yeah. It was cool when they did it the first time. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah, one too many times at the well. Well, um, they do uh, put a, tr- I guess they put a tracker on the waiter, Charlie Veda, I believe his name was. And I mean, if the guy's got a heavily encrypted phone, something's not, he's not just a waiter. Yeah, I don't, I guess they, they got his phone, cloned his phone or something, but yeah, they, they tracked him back to the brownstone. And uh, they do this one, this is the, the good cop, bad cop thing with Shaw. <laughs> and it was incredible. I mean, yeah. now, of all the people to do the good cop, John Reese, really? But, you know, in a pinch, he can work it. Yeah, well, and, in this situation, it had to be that way because Shaw's in a dark place right now. And as she tells him, you've got a family, you care for them, you have the ability to care for them, and you're going to make decisions like this. <laughs> and that was beautiful. I can't care for them. That was wonderful writing. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. that's, that's that type of stuff that, I mean, Shaw's a hard head to get into. And these, these little windows that give us the insight into her mind are, are really valuable. So. The, the emotionlessness of Shaw is not, it's been hit a couple of times, mm-hmm. not, not very often, but this really did, did hit home. Uh, they you know, really made it um, part of the episode, not just, here's a little backstory, or, oh, here's something interesting, she doesn't have an emotion. It was, it was applied into, uh, you know, into the interrogation, and, and even Reese was getting a little uncomfortable with it. Man. Well, you know, Shaw is always kind of, even more so even keel than than Reese is, you know, because they both have that military kind of I was gonna say assassin, that's not right. But she, 
Yeah, that detachment that's kind of built in. But as we've seen in her backstory, she's always been that way. She's wired that way, and it's almost like a genetic flaw, or it's definitely an anomaly, right? And so, um, and I think that for me, I take it for granted that she's that way. But now in this episode, Sarah did such a good job for playing a character that's always just so kind of even. It was like she was a hollow shell in this episode. And so she was able to find a place even even less emo- emotional than where she normally is. And so that was really, really good. She did a fantastic job of taking someone who, who can't feel much and making them look like there's nothing there. Yeah. Nothing yeah. left. She's just an empty shell. Well, the, the uh, our heroes get nabbed by uh, by the crowd in uh, you know it's this new cocktail party. I guess it's a, they, they were drinking too, so it was another uh, you know everybody's got their own little party. So they they you know get captured by them. But I you know we the lights black out. Fusco burges in, and um, although it was interesting, he said the blackout wasn't him. So I'm thinking, well, this is the machine now. You know, we're still what else? We're still what the options machine. Are there? Yeah, what else? What else is there to go on? That's yeah. true. Yeah. Um, and after um, after Pierce uh, ran from the uh, from the White House uh, thing, you know, you, you're not thinking anything good about him necessarily. Right. So, you know, yeah. they've really done a good job of re- of misdirecting uh, your attention. And uh, this has got to be the machine. That's always the machine. It's the machine. The machine. And uh, no, it wasn't him. Well, okay, we'll get that paid off a little bit later. But yeah, that was really. Uh, Really nice that that so many he said layers here. You've got the, the saving the president, but in the background on a rewatch, you're going to say, "Oh, okay." And then here is you know Team Machine DC happening, and this is um, this is it, some of that stuff was the machine, and it was great. It was great to be able to throw all that in there. Uh, but this is again one of those TV shows you you, you got to watch twice to uh, really understand it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was that's one reason why this episode was so good. It it, it uh it had you not all the pieces were there, but you didn't know how they connected until they presented them all to you. And then on a rewatch, you appreciate the fact that they were there the whole time. Um, just kind of like Joey, you mentioned it. He seemed completely out of place when Reese first, he first encounters Reese in the, in the courtyard and he's not, he's completely there on purpose. And it's, it's, it's a great little, that's a great little construct of, of this story. Well, they, they, you know, they realize the drone is actually going to be the attack as it suddenly goes off its normal course. And I like uh, Reese talking about uh, saying to uh, the show, hey, you know, take a shot of the president, keep those people down so that, you know, they don't get into the car that the, or the SUV that the drone is going for. And I like her line there. Whatever you say, Wilkes Booth. Yeah, that was a, that was a great line. I liked that. that was a great. Yes. I, I, I drove through Daily Plaza on my way out of Dallas. My my hotel was downtown. When I left, I rode, drove right down Elm, I think it was, and went through Daly Plaza and down through the triple underpass. And I was just like, man, that's so, I had never driven the assassination route before. Now, that wasn't the, the, you know, he came in off of, I think, Commerce, hooked a ride and then went down. But anyway, that where JFK was killed, I mean, I was right there. And that was, that was a little bit weird. Um, I love the use of the drone here um, for two reasons. One, it makes me sing Muse in my head. Reapers is one of their new songs. Their whole latest album, if, you have, if you're not a Muse fan, go check them out. Their whole latest album 
which won, uh, by the way, the Grammy for Rock Album of the Year. Uh, not that I'm a fan or anything, but it's all about <laughs> government conspiracies and cover-ups and the use of drones and things like that. Now, Matt Bellamy, who, who's their primary writer and stuff, he kind of takes things up a, l- a little bit, but it's really cool and it ties into a lot of what we talk about here on this show. Now, what I loved about this was this the use of drones is so pervasive in in our world. And as a citizen, I don't think I know one-tenth of what's going on with the use of drones. And I'd like to think that I'm more informed than the average citizen. I don't think I'm as informed as someone like you, who's more politically, you know, with your ear to the ground politically, way more than I am. You probably know tenfold what Mm, I do. Not necessarily, but but yeah, it's it's, it's one of those things that you, you... uh, you hear about, you know, occasionally, but it's not really, it's not really discussed in, you know, uh, proper. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's supposed to be yeah. super secretive stuff. But the the reality is that our military, you know, and our commander in chief have the ability to dispatch drones at their disposal. And so I thought it was perfect that this group of people in this episode who are railing against the government use of surveillance would use a drone to take out the president. I mean, it would just be the irony of all ironies. And to show, you know, they didn't choose a drone by accident. And I don't think the writers, I mean, the writers chose the drone for that same reason. And so I I think that was the perfect choice uh, assassination tool, I guess. Even though it didn't fail, that was the perfect thing to choose. If if you're going to devise a storyline where the president is going to be uh, assassinated, Drone was the perfect choice. And it could have been used, and it may, may still be, uh, by this group. I, I assume the group is still really around, even though some of the folks got uh, taken care of. Mm-hmm. But they could say, look, a drone almost took out a president. We need to stop the drones. It's kind of like, you know, using the, using the gun against your, you know, against the uh, people so that you can say, look, don't use guns. You know, this is what happens when you use guns. But you know, it's a little hypocritical, um, but or it's it's like you know the, uh, the the white hat hackers who hack into something to prove that the security's bad. Mm-hmm. So uh, so that may be what their intent was. Possibly again, we, this could be uh, uh, dealt with later, but it could be the fact that they want to prove that drones are bad because a drone could be easily you know redirected and, and take out the president. Exactly. Yeah, could be. I don't know that we'll really get that answered. We have two episodes left, but yeah, not enough time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't just take pot shots at the president and just walk away. Now, you know, poor little Shaw and uh, and Reese have a real tough time getting out of that uh, that situation. And it's you know that was a good question. Once I realized, I said, "Wait a minute, she's shooting at the president. What do they? In, what's their escape plan? You know, and yeah. they really didn't have one. No, because they didn't think they were going to be doing that." Yeah, that was that was um, my thought too. My crap, that was. I mean, they did the perfect thing. I think to take you know shoot to keep them to keep them down to keep them from moving toward the SUV. But now you've just technically tried to assassinate the president. You're not going to get anybody to believe your story. So mm-hmm. really, you've just tried to assassinate the president, and you're about to have just this whole legion of of agents and military unleashed on you how are you going to get out of this one and joey of course there we are joey comes to the rescue amy acker's real life husband by the way comes to the rescue 
Yeah, I didn't know that until uh, we had some feedback about that. It took me later. Yep. Um, but it was it was a great idea there to, to, to and I had, I mean before she was even in the series he was you know episode three from season one yeah and I so, didn't remember that I didn't realize back in the day that was her it was it was only recently that I realized who her husband was yeah no I I didn't know either but uh, but when he said he was uh, you know somebody that uh, Reese had helped with that well he's a number from some time but mm-hmm. I didn't realize how far back that's quite a that's a, that's going all the way back there. yeah season one episode three we didn't mention it on pierce but he was in case you don't remember pierce was around back in season five episode no no, no i looked at that wrong wrong thing season two episode 14 yeah he was the uh fate uh what was it the friend friends are friendships yeah. are or something like that the facebook one of a thing yeah 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 that was cool it was cool so you know we got all that there and uh so he shows up. He's got uh, camo for them. They can uh, blend into the uh, with the group group that's uh, accompanying the Secret Service. This is where we find out about the fact that it was the president's number was considered irrelevant. Yeah, and that the group now they said ISA, and I had a I asked some of our helpful folks in the Facebook group. That's that's Control's crowd, right? That was uh, what what yep. replaced Northern Lights. Yes, with with Samaritan. Okay. And so they did nothing about it, considering it, or I guess Samaritan considering it irrelevant. And the machine said, well, if you're considering it irrelevant, I'm going to do something about it. Yeah, that's a huge deal. Now, there was a line, I think Joey gave it, where they were like, Joey, what are you doing here? And he says, there's somebody I need you to meet or some somebody I need to take you to, or something like that. And I thought, this is it. We're getting control back. This is how it all ties in. This is how they got to Washington. And then da 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 no, it didn't happen. But I was like, I was like on the edge of my seat, just anticipating we're about to see control and our predictions were coming true. And <laughs> nope, sorry. Yep. There, there was one thing about, and I, I remember I, I saw a little earlier. You made a note about it, but I can't find it now. Yeah. Um, where, you know, the machine has always been very rectangular, very square. The machine point of view. You see all the uh, video feeds flying back and forth and you see the boxes in the uh, around the people's faces and Samaritan has been very circular and round and moving in that kind of a, a shape and I noticed a little of the machine's point of view being it with a little circle sometimes hmm. you know you see you see a little you see all the squares the video feeds but sometimes you see a little circle thing going on and it got me thinking we had talked about for the uh, Live Another Day contest about does the machine die, does Samaritan die, or perhaps, and we've had some predictions about that, they get merged into one, and it's almost as though the machine is trying to emulate or mm. merge already with Samaritan. I'm wondering if that's some of uh, a little foreshadowing there. They don't really, it's very quick as it's going by, but I just saw a couple of you know circles going around, and, and I thought, I've never seen that in the machine point of view before, so I'm wondering if they're if the writers are kind of saying, "Hey, check it out, check it out." I missed all that. If that's true, I'm gonna have to watch that again. I'm gonna have to, we're gonna have to watch this again. In the words of John Locke, we're gonna have to watch this again. I didn't catch that. Well, yeah, it was great. And then to get have all the uh, the whole you know Team Machine DC together with Harper and Pierce and Durbin, and they you know send their they're all you know sending the tips to anonymous tips to the Secret Service to get them off the case and 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 you know the machine i was waiting to see I, now maybe i missed it again like we did for fusco mm-hmm. but 
Did we ever see a, a camera angle on them with the yellow boxes around them? Oh, that's a great question. I I didn't make note of that. I mean, I I was working off the assumption that they were aware of them. I mean, they're getting numbers from somewhere. They had to. I don't. I mean, well, I, I mean, uh, Reese even says you got this number from the machine. Yeah, and they their heads. Yeah. Yep. So they're aware of it. Yeah, I, I, it seems like I, but maybe I'm just kind of picturing that in my mind's eye of what that would have looked like. But it does seem like I, I saw an image of all of them. But it, it's, it's really interesting. You know, the last time we saw Pierce, he's the guy that kind of really knew something was going on. Like, and Reese mm-hmm. had to chase him to Russia at one point. At the very end of the episode, he gave Finch that really expensive watch. Yes. And then Reese, or excuse me, Finch figured out there was a GPS in there, and he and he crushed it. Remember, and he threw it away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and which was kind of funny because I always had a feeling we would see him again, um, and and just didn't really think anything of it this this last uh, few episodes. I thought, well, that that time has come and gone. I should have known better after we saw the voice return, you know, a couple weeks ago. So, but he was well, really they had kind so many of, they could have picked from. They could have picked from a zillion of yeah. characters, and the voice was certainly one that you had to. They had to deal with because of the yeah, buildup they've been doing. That one was left open. Where this one, I mean, it was left open in the sense that clearly Pierce put the GPS on so he could try to help figure out what he knew something was going on, and he was trying to figure it out. And so, I guess at some point, either he did figure something out, or somehow he got read in. I think they're read in. I, I and it makes you wonder. Like Harper, if you go back and think of all the things last season where she just happened to show up and she was a chameleon and able to kind of blend in and do these things, was mm. she read in then? And I say, yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know, but I'd like to think that, and it would make it so much, so much more interesting to think that all this time she's been there kind of helping as, as the DC team or the B team or however you want to look at it. So I don't know. I, I was waiting for Fusco to say, "Does everybody know about this?" And that's just me. <laughs> yeah. So okay, Doug. Does this mean that we're going to have both teams for these final two episodes? Like, is are they going to need the power? Is this going to be like Voltron? Now we've got six members. When you combine them to create this one gigantic, you know, feline mechanism of doom. <laughs> mechanism of doom. I don't know. I don't. My guess is I don't think so. I think this has just been an introduction of those characters as being aware of the machine. And now uh, they have this backdoor that they could use to reboot the series, bring it to another network, whatever. I, I don't think I don't think we'll see any more of that. They're the DC group. I think I think everything else is either happening in New York City or, they, you know, Harold is their new number. Mm-hmm. So maybe they do have to bail out to San Antonio. But I don't think this is going to be, I don't think it's an ongoing thing at this point. Too many new characters all of a sudden that, that would have to, you'd have to, to, to deal with all of them. And I, 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 I just don't see them getting quite as involved because they've really not been involved with Samaritan, um, the Samaritan storyline as we have seen it. So I just, it would seem like uh, shoehorning them in. I'm going to go the opposite way and say, yes, this was a pretty logical way to beef up the size of our team in a very believable, plausible way. 
but I if and if that does prove to be the the case, and we've heard that there's going to be more blood spilled this season, does that mean that these are going to be our our victims of that that um, prophecy? And th- and I'll be a little disappointed if that's the case. Not yeah. it sounds terrible because I because on one hand that means Finch and Reese and Shaw and, and Fusco survive, but on the other hand, I, I would feel a little bit lied to a little deceived if if the bloodbath that's going to come and that may be overstating it i don't know though i don't know that that is overstating it um that the bloodbath to come is is these characters that we're going to bring in the last minute just to kill them and say yeah see there's your bloodbath so i don't know we'll see how that all pans out i could they could they could all die and our heroes die it could be all all of team machine die i don't know there's your prediction there's my prediction yeah indeed you want to put some bananas on that doug uh no i slip on them (laughs) what about some kiwis kiwis i got some kiwis upstairs yeah yeah, yeah. all right all right loser eats a kiwi eats a kiwi (laughs) (laughs) on the show yes yeah this is nothing new We, we started this with banana bet back in our fringe days Oh, uh, okay. Jeremy and I had a kiwi bet. Maybe we choose a different fruit. I don't know, but uh, mango. I'm not really a big fan of mango, so mango bet. Mango bet. All right. So the <laughs> bet. Okay, we'll do this. So the the bet is if we see, I say that we will see the DC team again this season. Now let's let's clarify. Clarify. Do we need to see them in the final two episodes or either of the final two episodes? Either. 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 Okay. And you say we won't, at least not in a in an assistive type of way. Yes. Right? Okay. That's what I'm saying. Loser eats a mango on the live podcast. <laughs> All right. Okay. My wife loves mangoes. My kids love mangoes. I just never really got into it. I don't mango. know that I've had mango. I'm sure I have and just didn't really know, think too much of it. Well, the final thing to mention on this storyline, we'll carry us right into the B storyline, is they have a new number that is uh, Finch, uh, no, Fusco and Reese and Shaw, and that number is Finch. So that's that's the second time he's been the number this season, which is a little bit interesting, right? Yeah, I mean, and very quickly as well, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. All right, well, let's talk about Harold and his uh, adventures that he took this episode. Most of this was exposition not exposition really it was just uh, a lot of it was conversation between he and the machine and it was very i thought was very good i mean i I read some uh folks in the um in the facebook group that said i would watch michael emerson read the white pages you know so he he does have a good um a good delivery he is you know he's bringing out that emotion that you know, he's been kind of, he's been kind of an even keel too. He's been a concerned man. He's mm-hmm. been, but not very uh, wildly emotional. In this one, you can kind of see the slow burning still mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. You know, he's already been pushed over the edge, but now he's concerned about, you know, maybe I need to, well, like you said, the, the, the last episode, I got to break some rules perhaps. Um, and it's, you know, we've seen, We've seen him have a gun. I, I don't know if he still has it or not, you know, but there's the old Chekhov's gun waiting for that to pay off. Maybe he used it. Maybe he doesn't. I thought, I thought possibly he was, he had already used it when he went to San Antonio and I saw these people all in a line on the floor. Yeah. Thought, oh, yeah. That's a dark place, but no, thank goodness. You know, so he's, you know, if he first starts talking to the machine while he's 
had some car trouble, and he's not entirely comfortable with hearing her voice coming out of the machine. And I can understand that, especially since Root had been the um, mostly his foil about what the, the machine ought to be doing. Yeah. Yeah, and it was good to see that come full circle by by not too long. I mean, by the end of the episode anyway, we, we got him saying, you know what? She had a great voice. I miss it. Why don't you go back to that? So that was that was nice to see him kind of working through uh, through that. And that would be, can you imagine, Doug, how, I mean, you've just lost creepy. A, a dear friend and now she's this voice you hear in your ear. That would be creepy for sure. That would be yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Un- unsettling. Very unsettling. Yeah. yeah. Some great dialogue, though, were from the machine saying that the you know, machine is saying, I, I loved her. And he, Finch says, It's, you don't know how to love. You, you, that's not possible. And she says, Yeah, you taught me how to love. And she also mentions, you know, the, the change in root that the, the transformation of Root after she encountered Harold. Um, not, time, yeah. yeah, and so some really, really great writing and dialogue again here as we get to see uh, more of the inner inner thought processes of, of not only Root, but the machine. Yeah, and a little callback to remind people of what Root's uh, origins were. Mm-hmm. You know, psychopath and kidnapper and I don't know if there's any element of torture. There may have been hints of that, you know, when she first met Harold and, 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 and kidnapped, him, kidnapped him to try to free the machine from uh, what she thought was uh, uh, Harold's constraints. So, yeah, it was great to kind of, you know, relive that and uh, get a reminder of uh, how far her character had gone, the, the arc of her character. And she had kind of been redeemed at the end by the guy she had kidnapped originally yeah ultimately she saved his life so there you are yeah it's a great character arc so so good and the machine we already knew that the machine was kind of he had the ability to synthesize thoughts if you will and and to have a level of emotion right and so we'd seen that even last season finale when she has that great father speech monologue whatever you want to call it uh with harold so when she says that she loved Root too. You believe it and you understand it. But then when she so so that when she says that she had to watch Root die twelve thousand four hundred and eighty three times. Again, the episode If Then Else gave us all the backstory we need to understand that completely. Mm-hmm. Um, that's powerful, and that kind of makes your heart break for the machine. Can you imagine being in that situation where you're trying as quickly as you can? to create a, a, a scenario where this person you love doesn't die and you, you're able to create 12,483 scenarios before it's too late and you can't save that person that you love. That's really heartbreaking. Yeah, considering that, yeah, the, the If Then Nels like, uh, episode, like you said, really did bring, it, it is a callback to that. You know, it was interesting at the time. It was an interesting little idea about you know, chess moves mm-hmm. and having to, you can't go through every possible iteration of what could happen. So you've got to narrow it down somehow. And those 12,000 could have, you know, been since season, you know, end of season one, beginning of season two, and maybe more. Uh, maybe the 12,000 was only, you know, the most recent 
episode where she finally does die and there's just no good way out of it and she and the machine didn't have enough time nor influence perhaps on uh, on getting uh keeping her alive so yeah that's got to be it gives you a, a, a whole different perspective you know it's like oh when, when she said that number it's like oh yeah i hadn't thought about that so you know if there's an emotional element to the machine then this is even you know a bigger uh hit to it her than uh than to most of us yeah yeah exactly that's exactly right. And that brings us into the kind of the next conversation that they have together. By this time, Harold has made it to a restaurant. He keeps looking over at this guy. We find out later why he's looking at that guy at the time. We're like, okay, how's this guy going to fit into the situation? Mm-hmm. But the conversation is about pain. And obviously Harold knows about pain. They're all feeling the pain of loss with root, but he knows physical pain too. And this was really insightful too, right? Where he's saying that pain is what tethers him to the world. And the machine fires back, oh, is that why you never had surgery, you know, to correct the... The loss. Yeah, because after the injuries he sustained on the ferry bombing, he says, all of my crimes have gone unpunished, including you. And so the machine's like, Yeah, that was really... Wow, that was really, a, um, I would have thought that, yeah, a, t- a tough thing for the machine to hear. And again, he has still not considered um, the AI as something of a friend, something that can be used for good. It, I mean, it has been used for good, but I believe, he believes it's only because it has been constrained by him. Yeah. And so, in general, that's a, um, you know, he's, he's still there. He's still not quite over to Root's side of the uh, argument. And I think that's because he's also the person that the machine tried to kill by setting fire and having the oxygen sucked out of the room and all <laughs> these other things that the machine did to try to escape and to, to try to cause harm. And, you know, so he's, he's, he's got those precautions and those, those hesitations justifiably so. But at the same time, you do look at the way Root and uh, view the machine and you look at these conversations and the feelings and the calling him father and you want to fully trust an unleashed machine, but maybe it's just trying to trick him again. You know, it's, it's, and, and, but, but he is right. Technically his use of the machine is a crime. It is something that he was not supposed to do. So, you know, regardless of how he actually may feel about the machine or ultimately choose to, you know, unhinder the machine, it doesn't take away the fact that him doing all that he's done is technically a crime. And he has not had to pay for that crime or any of his crimes yet. Yeah. I mean, and he has, he was a hacker back in the day. Yep. Uh, he had that, those treason charges against him. I mean, you could go even that far back and he has been clever. He has been, he's covered his tracks well. And I mean, so this may go back to his teenage years. Yep. Not just, you know, since in the ear of the machine. So, uh, yeah, so he's got a lot of guilt that is kind of setting in on him and compounding that guilt for what he's done is he believes that he is going to be responsible for any deaths on his team already with, um, with root. And, uh, you know, that was, there was a big, and yes, that's another thing, as I've mentioned before with the writers in, in this, they have, done a great job slowly, naturally, organically changing the dynamic between various characters 
especially with Harold and Ruth. At the beginning, of course, they were antagonistic. Next time he gets, you know, uh, control of her, he's sticking her in a Faraday cage. He did not trust her. He finally came all that way to be able to trust her. And she is, you know, getting identities from the machine, going out dealing with Samaritan. And then to have, uh, again, on top of his guilt, to be, to feel at least responsible for her death because he was in the car with her and she was, you know, she was there to rescue him. So it's just, it's, this is all just getting heaped and heaped and heaped on Harold. And you can see where, you know, when he says finally, perhaps it's time for a different tactic. This is, again, part of that slow boil that is now beginning to boil over. Yeah, and it, it is a slow boil, too, in terms of, I mean, as you're talking, I'm just sitting here thinking about this. Here we are, two episodes left in this series. And I don't really know how it's going to go down. I don't, I don't know any closer to figuring it out today than I was prior to, to viewing episode one. And I'm not sure who's going to live or die. I'm not sure what to do with that opening monologue in the voice of Ruth that we now understand to be the machine. I'm not sure what's going to happen with Greer or Samaritan. You know, it's been a slow build. And it's going to be like this episode was, where at the end, when you have Joey and Pierce and Harper all show up and you're like, see, we gave you all those pieces. It was there the whole time. I'm sure this season will be the same way. Um, but as it is right now, it's a slow build, and I can't figure out how this thing is going to go down or who's going to win, who's going to live. And that's, that's great, I think, because I know it's going to come together, and it's just a, sh- a, sh- a shine, a sign or a showing. I don't know. I'm trying to combine mm-hmm. those words into how good the, these writers are. But we do get some clue to that, I think, in this final scene with with finch where he's at some facility and he's getting this virus called an ice nine now doug i want to ask you you and i had spoken about viruses earlier in this season and i think you said that a virus would not be a good way to take down the machine to samaritan is am i remembering that right can you refresh my memory on that i i don't know what i said exactly but yeah I, the virus may, may have, and actually he talks about this a little bit while speaking to the machine there, that there could be a lot of collateral damage. I mean, mm-hmm. when you introduce a virus and that's, you know, running out on the uh, internets, then you could be, you know, infecting a lot more than you expect to. It's almost like if you want to, you know, as a parallel, you know, this was Samaritan, what Samaritan was doing with hardware, now Harold is doing with software. Uh, Samaritan infected printers and routers and computers and all sorts of things with its own little hardware uh, patch that allowed it to communicate with all of them. Mm -hmm. And Harold is going to do kind of the same thing, though, just with software. Let it loose on the Internet and, uh, you know, seek out Samaritan. And if some other, you know, if other infrastructure is taken out because of it, so be it. It's just the way it is. And this is again, a peek into how far down the, uh, how far down into the well Harold has gone. Especially, too, the way he gets out of the facility by essentially threatening the, uh, the guard there with, a, uh, with the, the death of his daughter. You know, uh, you know, there's a guy who's going to uh, die. He's a donor match for your daughter. 
let me go. She lives. Arrest, you know, arrest me. Eh, she's in the back of the list. Yeah, she'll die in five weeks. Wow. Yeah. That's that pretty was, hard. That was seeing that was very, very, um, I'm going to say out of character, but, you know, understandably so. Yeah, and go back to Elias's one of one of Elias's final words to to Finch when he handed him that that book. I mean, he's he's going to be a pot that boils over. So we'll see. I mean, he's definitely making some decisions that have been a long time coming, and and seemingly against his character. So yeah, yeah, but but again, uh, when you say uh, against his character, it's in a good way in that. They have definitely uh, allowed us to see that build that happened, and it's really been really well done. And I like what you said about uh, how the season might might end up being like this episode, where all the parts were there, and we just didn't recognize them until the very end. And I I, I agree with that. I have no idea how this is going to end. I know, you know, the happily ever ending, a happily ever after ending, uh, mm-hmm. but that's not going to happen. No, <laughs> doesn't seem that way. Yeah. Well, that's that's the end of our discussion, and and here we are, an hour and a half almost into this episode. I mean, there's so much to talk about, so many things to consider, and and the Dodge. I hope you don't mind that this is going to be another bit of a long episode because we still have surveillance and feedback to get into. But it's so good, so interesting to see all, all the things that are going on and still be so clueless. Here we are with two episodes left. Wow. Yep. All right. Well, why don't you clue us in on some surveillance in the news? Alrighty, this came from Andrew Jeeves. The headline from The Intercept is Facing Data Deluge, or Deluge, or Deluge, <laughs> Secret UK Spying Report Warned of Intelligence Failure. Ooh. Well, let's see. A secret report, which apparently is not so secret anymore, warned that British spies may have put lives at risk because their surveillance systems were sweeping up more data than could be analyzed leading them to miss clues to possible security threats. The concern was sent to top British government officials in an explosive classified document, which outlined methods being developed by the United Kingdom's domestic intelligence agency to covertly monitor Internet communications. The security service, also known as MI5, which I'm sure you've all heard of, had become the, quote, principal collector and exploiter, close quote, of digital communications within the U.K., But the agency's surveillance capabilities had grown significantly over the past few years. So the idea here, basically, in this article is that if you're trying to look for a needle in the haystack and you're vacuuming up every piece of hay you can find on the planet, (laughs) that's a pretty big haystack to try to find the needle in. And so you're going to miss stuff. There may be multiple needles that you are not seeing. And so the UK is having this problem, and I'm sure other intelligence agencies for other countries, like the US, have the same uh, situation. But they're just, like I said, vacuuming it all up as much as possible and say, okay, now if we need to find something, we can look for it. Do you have the computing power? Do you have the storage? So, yeah, this is a, um, this is, and they talk about a couple of specific uh, issues. For example, uh, three years after the report was authorized or was authored, Two Islamic extremists killed and attempted to decapitate a British soldier, Lee Rigby, on a London street. An investigation into the incident found that the two perpetrators were well known to MI5, but the agency had missed significant warning signs about Mm. the men, including records of phone calls one of them had made to an Al-Qaeda-affiliated radical in Yemen, and an online message in which the same individual had discussed in graphic detail his intention to murder a soldier. And yet, 
they got away with it or they, they got it done because just too much stuff. They made too big of a haystack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they, they, but the other argument to that is, well, but if we don't suck in all the data, then we're going to miss stuff that way too because we didn't get it all. It's, so you lose your privacy entirely and we still lose people. That's right. <laughs> they do. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's got to be a little more targeted, gang. Anyway, so there's the uh, there's our surveillance in the news for uh, this week. And uh, thank you again, Andrew G's, for sending that to me. And this will be in the show notes at goldenspiralmedia.com slash POI. All right. Now, as far as an update on our contest, uh, we stand exactly where we stood last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the... Well, unfortunately, as, unfortunately, because we lost Root, is what I was going to say. Uh, we didn't lose anybody else this week. We lost Root last week. Again, Elias was not part of the contest. We assumed him already dead, even though our guts told us otherwise. Um, so, yeah, same same position as last week. All right. How about some feedback, Doug? I'm ready for it. Well, let's get it kicked off with some audio. We have one audio this week, and it comes in from our good friend over in Worcester, Judy. Good afternoon, Daryl and Doug and everybody else. This is Chachi Judy, the Polish blonde, calling in regarding episode 11, Synecdoche. I rated this nine fifty thousand dollar uh, entry tickets, entry fees, to uh, hang with POTUS. There's only one thing that really left me, you know, the only, the ideas that were percolating at the result of this episode is that you know, we've previously seen in the past, specifically the end of season three, where Root had um, been in contact with some of the numbers and they helped her to assemble those uh, servers that would protect the, protect the identities of uh, Team Machine from Samaritan. So seeing that this new team has popped up, it's not a new thing. It's really cool. So I wonder how long the team, uh, team uh, the machine has been doing this. That's a, uh, yeah, and I wonder if we're going to see them, any of these teams, pop up over the next two episodes, the next two and last episodes of Person of Interest. <sighs> That's a depressing thought, but it's a cool one as well. Anyway. That's what my thoughts were. I, I'm at work, so I'm trying to keep this brief. Thanks, guys, and see you on the flip side. And pronounce Worcester correctly, Daryl. Worcester, come on. I get it right every week. <laughs> Just like it's spelled, huh? That's right, Worcester. The, you know, really, she makes a great point, I think, in that these we have now the DC team, but there could be countless other teams what if they all converge not you know i'm not saying there's a hundred of them if if need be i mean really they have now written a way where team machine could be as many people as it needs to be in order to take down samaritan here in these final two episodes yeah maybe we're waiting for team machine san antonio <laughs> that's right <laughs> that's Who right. Knows? yeah well dodge wrote into us and he called this feed forward not feedback and thank you, Doc. <laughs> we have to go back. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Hang on. Okay, so he says this. Think Ms. Groves and Ms. Shaw when you read this horoscope overview I compiled today. Okay. Symbolized by the image of two fish in an almost yin-yang pose, mysterious and alluring, most Pisces are extremely talented, even if differently motivated or enabled. 
they manage to spend most of their lives battling confusing conditions. Their symbol depicts one fish heading upward, the other pulling downward. This mirrors how Pisceans are frequently torn between two pathways in life, sometimes actually living two very different existences at the same time. Passionate and comprehending, Pisces has creative drives that are inextricably bound up with a deep sense of the human condition, and not just a pursuit of their own individual wants or needs. Their deep behavioral patterns characterize their personal manifest in life, an overwhelming urge to help those in need. Many Pisceans enter the field of medicine, nursing, social work, or assisting an all-powerful machine. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, the handicapped. <laughs> sensitive and receptive, Pisceans are extremely sensitive about emotions and pick up on the moods and almost an atmosphere around them. This sensitivity allows them to instinctively know what others are experiencing in need. Because of this receptiveness to outside influences, they may tend to feel victimized by circumstances and that they have little say over the direction of their life. There you go. Their inner world of fantasy and imagination, simulation, can be an escape from the demands of the outer world or as a means to excel in some creative fashion. So, he says, guys, I think this is Root and Samin to a T. I also think that we will see Samaritan adopt the Shaw persona in the end while the machine stands toe-to-toe with it as a very Root-like counterbalance in the overall equation. Maybe the series ends with both AIs deciding to do the good work while Greer and Finch are essentially unplugged from the various outlets that give them access to the AIs. An artificial intelligence detente. Hmm. That's a very interesting idea. I don't think anybody's you know, vocalized that before, that the, the artificial intelligence to say, these humans, leave them alone. We'll do the right stuff. But yeah. I don't see Samaritan going there. I don't know. I don't either. But it's a nice thought. Thank you, Dutch. And Dutch, if you think that this episode's too long, you have yourself to blame in part because of your feedback you sent in. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, Team Yellowbox wrote in and said, given the history of attention to detail this group displays, I'm surprised the opening credits didn't change this week, given the events of last week. I figured we'd hear Amy delivering the opening voiceover, either by herself or along with Greer's track. Um, quote, we're basically indistinguishable. I take comfort in that, end quote. So did I until this scene. I have to say, I wish they didn't include the comments of separating machine and root and left fans guessing about who was talking. Maybe use we instead of I at most, or keep saying she and her, because saying this is more machine than root or balance just makes her exit more depressing. At the core, The comment is true. Root and Machine have always been extremely similar, but it's still sad this is more Machine than, say, Mac Root. Poor Shaw. Her opening was just so sad with the merry-go-round callback, wanting this to all be assimilation. I'm with her on that. The line from John to Fusco about her was great. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean she's not grieving. As we all know, Shaw does care. The feelings are just deep inside, like the voices on an old television set. A nice use of former number in this episode, by the way. All right. So, an old television set, so like staticky and black and white and fuzzy? I guess. We never had a black and white TV. We were in the color era, but it was, you know, one of those that had, like, the remote was me. Dad would say, hey. There you are. Put it on channel 34. 
We had these little dials for each each little channel. You could you could kind of dial them in. A little yes. push button. You yeah, had a push button. Yeah. yeah. You, you had like there was so my TV would max out at like twenty twenty channels. You had to push the channel for each one. The knob told you what you had dialed that frequency into. That's right, and you had to find the three that you had. Yeah, yeah. It was just because there was thirty four options didn't mean we had thirty or twenty channels. Or I was thinking the channel thirty four. That was one of our options. Yeah, uh, but yeah, we had probably <laughs> four, five, nine, thirteen, twenty five, thirty four, forty three. I think that was our complete channel setup. However many You're that was. Say four, eight, sixteen, twenty three, forty two. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All righty. Andrew Jeeves is back again. He says, hi, hi, Daryl and Doug. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Smart man. I'm giving this episode, and I forgot to put this at the front. I'm very sorry, Andrew. I'm giving this episode seven and a half, Finch's Dark Side Finally Manifesting. I will admit I did not catch this episode live. I was in Detroit watching my Blue Jays blow a 2-0 lead in the ninth to lose 3-2 to the Detroit Tigers in the 10th inning. Anyway, this was a good episode. We see the return of old characters from the last few seasons. Logan Pierce, last seen in season two, episode fourteen, one percent. Joey Durbin, played by Amy Acker's real life husband, who was last seen in episode, or season one, episode three, Mission Creek. And Harper Rose, last seen in season four, finale Yahweh. And find out a new team machine is formed. That made me wonder: was this a backdoor pilot to a potential spinoff? Which I would yes. To quote Entertainment Weekly, quote. At some point, the machine recruited these three people to handle irrelevant numbers that weren't in New York and send them to D.C. to save recent company. It's a clever twist that accompanies, accomplishes several things. For one, it addresses one of the holes in the show's premise. That is, what happened to all of the irrelevant numbers across the country? Also, it provides the show with an opportunity to continue the legacy of original Team Machine's work as it nears the end. Joey, Logan, and Harper are all people who, after being saved by recent company, have used their second chance to do some good. Hello, I realize that Reese might have been risking a lot by showing his face in D.C. where his old CIA colleagues hanging out and might blow his cover, thereby risking exposure to Samaritan. I was secretly hoping that our friend Greer might show his smug face during the episode. I keep on dreaming that he meets a very painful death at the hands of his own creation. He can join Peter Collier of Vigilance in Hell. <laughs> I know. I okay. I, I'll, after after we finish this, um, I wonder what podcast projects you both got upcoming in the fall TV season to keep you occupied when Poi ends. Cheers and remember, life is a highway. I'm gonna ride it all night long until POI. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I assume he's wanting us to sing, and that's why he signs those off. Yeah, I think there was a lyric in there last week, and I did not sing it, and I. <laughs> Afterwards, I was like, I probably was supposed to sing that. So, two things: I am not entirely blaming Collier from Vigil because his heart was in the right place. You know, trying to deal with the surveillance state, thinking he could make a difference. Yep. Uh, I think he was just manipulated. Now, you know, some of the stuff he did, not very good, and you know, he was willing to do stuff in the service of that cause. That uh, yeah, it's not so good. Um, but he was kind of a puppet was, too. I mean, you're right. Yeah. He did some things that were kind of bad, but at the same time, he was deeply deceived. Yeah. So I, 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 I give him a little grace on that. Yeah. Greer's different. Say, yeah. No, sorry, guy. <laughs> no grace Done. for Greer. None. He's well. He's the one doing the manipulating. He's the hand in. That's the right. Puppet. Yeah. yeah. He was the hand in the puppet. That's right. <laughs> 
And secondly, uh, we have no idea what we're going to do in fall. No. I, I haven't looked in a few weeks. Like, since they announced what got picked up, I'm not even sure. Like, I know Nancy Drew, for example, did not get picked up, which, by the way, Sarah came out this week and said, you know what? It really wasn't that good anyway, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> it might have been more of a sour grapes type of thing. I don't know. But uh, I looked earlier, a few, uh, like maybe six weeks ago or so, and there was two or three things that kind of caught my eye. I don't even know if those got picked up yet or not. I will look at that after POI is over with and figure out what I, you know, when I pick a show, it's got to be something I'm genuinely attracted to, not just podcasting because I don't have anything else to podcast about. Yeah, podcast fodder. No, no, no. Yeah. So we'll see. At this point, I'm with Doug. I don't know. Nothing yet. Hopefully something. And we'll let you know, you know, what that will be. I say, you know, obviously not in this podcast feed, but, you know, on our website, through our Golden Spiral Media Facebook page, on our Twitter feed, all those things. So make sure you're engaged in those areas so that you'll know. Not only what Doug and I are doing, but the other podcasts that will come about by our other fantastic hosts. Fantastic. All right. Um, I love that I'm getting the shorter ones because you're much better at reading than I am, Doug. <laughs> um, Sci-Fi Gene says, I got this nickname because during a trivia game, my brothers said my knowledge of sci-fi related movies and shows is so good. It's as if I have the Sci-Fi Gene. That's quite a compliment, I must say. Indeed. Uh, Sci-Fi Gene says, anyways, I love the episode. I felt like a possible, it, it felt like a possible lead. See, I can't even read a four-line email without getting tripped up. It felt like a possible lead-in for a sequel series. It could have suggested a possible show of multiple former characters from different case numbers receiving instructions from the machine at random times. Maybe they were considering a sequel series before the show got canceled. And yes, they were. Yeah. Well, they were hoping. They, they were just, I think, I think what they said was they're just leaving the door open. They figured, hey, yeah, we're on the right does. network, the network that likes to have five sequels for the same brand. So what, our chances are pretty good. Yeah, really. <laughs> yes, indeed. We want the franchises. Uh, Linda is lost, wrote to us, and she said, I miss a lot of material as my mind tend to wanders off. Uh, I'm sorry. Well, I, I, I can't. Where am I now? Okay. You're reading. You're, you're reading Linda's email. Uh, okay. Yeah, okay. Sorry. Uh, when Finch changed his name to Osprey, and we didn't mention it earlier, but this is great. You've we got, didn't you know, mention it because of this. So I wanted to save it for this. <laughs> yes. Yes. And he says to the cop, "Who's? How did he get?" out of that thing with the cop. If you don't have a license plate, is he going to let you drive away regardless of what explanation you have? He didn't have his license either, which is really weird. Yeah, but yeah, on top of that. Yeah, there's no way he would have gotten off. Wow. Anyway, um, when Finch changed his name to Osprey, I was all over it. I am an avid bird watcher, and I'm aware of the bird characteristics of the ones I see often. On visits to my grandparents' farm, I spent several hours churning over rocks, catching snakes and salamanders, and just lying on my back, quite often in a patch of poison ivy. Oh, nice. And watching the pair of ospreys who owned the telephone wire as they planned and then executed their dives. They worked together, planning the attack, and more often than not, they were successful. They are raptors, a type of hawk. They have pointed bills with a major overbite and are equipped with the talons and wing structure 
that make them perfect divers and the ability to rip their prey into appropriate portions. They stay with their young for about a year and a half to make sure that they are ready to dive, snatch, and rip. Hmm. That's an interesting little uh, mm-hmm. discussion. The finch is a small singing vegetarian who is often seen as a caged pet. Interestingly, the canary is a finch. They travel in groups and are some of the most frequently seen birds at backyard feeders. These birds share an interesting behavior. They are both monogamous, mating for life. So, does this... Uh, and it was very obvious, you know, he considered for a second what his last name was going to be, and yeah. he just said Osprey. It wasn't just like he, he was, you know, Professor uh, whatever other names as he used in the past. Uh, I can't remember now. So many of them, yeah, but this was calculated. Yeah, he thought about it for a moment and said Osprey. That yeah, seems fitting. Wow. This is great, yeah. Linda. Yeah. This is fantastic, and it, it, it really makes that whole scene very ominous. It sure does, yeah. I think it gives us a deep insight into the mindset and perhaps intentions of uh, Finch at this point. He's more of a predator now than he ever has been before. The Mm -hmm. songbird has been laid to rest. Now the predator is sitting on the line looking to swoop down. Ooh. You had to go into poetry. Oh, I do have a way with words. It's a gift. Mm. Let me... uh, let me demonstrate that gift here by uh, reading Sophie's email. <laughs> <laughs> Sophie says, hi, guys. Uh, sorry, let me, let me repeat that. Hi, Daryl and Doug. No, wait, 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 wait. Huh? That's not what she said. Sure it is. No. Okay, she said, hi, guys, not putting either name first. Thank you. Technically. What she meant was, hi, Daryl and Doug. This is the first time that I've got to make the feedback deadline this season because it's not available until Wednesday here in Sweden. Sweden! And I rarely have time to watch it until the day after, but I'm glad I did because I have so much to say. I'm actually lost for words, but I loved the episode. It was such a great way to pick it up after the loss we experienced last week. The machine is recruiting now. That's awesome. I have to admit, I'm glad they explained who all these recruits were because I don't remember them. Maybe some people found it to be unnecessary, but I really appreciated it. Uh, I'll just stop and say I appreciated it too. Like the voice, the the faces looked familiar, but I couldn't remember. Like, oh, that's the Facebook guy or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, back to Sophie. She says, "I'm curious and anxious to see where Finch is headed, and I don't mean geographically. I'm personally not." really fond of this Harold is the worst of them all storyline. I don't think it's true to his character at all. I don't buy that he's like a sober addict who could relapse at any time. I think of him as a true pacifist who doesn't want a gun because he doesn't want to use violence. That's why he hired John as the muscle. The only way that it feels true to me is that he's the quiet, peaceful one who finally had enough. And I think that's it. But I think you could also argue, Sophie, that he hired John to be the muscle and the gun, which still makes him the muscle and the gun, because he hired the guy to do that. And he may just have wanted to keep his hands clean? Yeah. Yeah. And, well, that wasn't his skill set. He has a certain set of skills. And hmm. he, remember, he tried to do the muscle and gun, and it almost got him killed. So. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, With this, uh, yeah back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, back to Sophie. Sorry, Sophie. I keep my mind keeps wandering. I, you call me Linda. Um, 
She says, this episode shows a different side of him, though, where he doesn't even flinch when threatening the life of someone's child. I get that the machine gave him the information, but it feels more like him just to offer the bribe and leave it at that instead of finishing it off with the death threat, even if it wouldn't be him actually killing the child. I'm having trouble putting words into what I'm feeling, so I'll stop. I just hope the series ends with Harold being uncorrupted, regardless if he lives or dies at the end, and I hope we get to see more old characters who are now recruits in the final episodes. The team needs all the allies they can get at this point when Samaritan has recruited what seems like half the population. Really? I'm looking forward to the podcast. Take care. Especially you, Daryl. Sophie. <laughs> I might have ad-libbed a little bit of that outro, but it doesn't matter. It's the it's sentiment, I'm sure. That's what she meant. <laughs> oh, man. You see, you see, this guy's running the show here. <laughs> I told you yeah, I have a gift it. of words. I'm just, you know... And he can edit it afterwards, you see, so <laughs> doesn't matter what I say. That's right. <laughs> and finally, Gary Anchetta wrote to us, and he said, two seasons ago, we got a conclusion where our four protagonists were made invisible to the machine, but really there were seven people who were made invisible. We still have three programmers out there whose job it is to be the resistance. They're holed up somewhere in an apartment. Where are those three guys? Mm-hmm. And we have the sit man, this guy who's been working for Samaritan, but whose number came up and who, at his core, is a sympathetic guy. He's talking about Jeff. My theory that at the end of this show, no one is left. Greer is dead. Samaritan has been demolished. Shaw has sacrificed herself. Finch has had his happy ending. The man in black has gone away. Men in the suit. The man in black is from Jesus Christ. <laughs> man in black is from uh, Lost. Was it? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. Although, you're right. The Jet Pirate Roberts was definitely dressed in black. The man in black, yeah. And he takes no we're prisoners. All, we're pulling in all of these things here. It's inconceivable. He, it's, <laughs> even Fosco has put away his earpiece for good and is now Lieutenant Fosco in full-time dad. Okay, so when you say no one is left, it means you no one is left on the team. That doesn't mean they're all dead. Thank you. Um, meanwhile, what did he say? Oh, yes, with the head dead. The machine still has to dismantle Samaritan operatives, some of which have come to her side. She brings back the programmers who are there to rebuild. Maybe we keep Harper Rose, but we also bring on Root's assassin, who is looking for redemption. This is the group that the computer is talking to, bringing them up to speed and helping them understand why they are here and how they can find redemption. Because in the end, person of interest is about redemption. And what better way to do that than to redeem Samaritan's agent? Mm. That's an interesting yeah, idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting because I mean, we just talked about how they're we're really next snap is is his future, but mm, that's really compelling. Very much so. I, I like that. Uh, we're getting so many different possible endings here, and I my prediction, not a mango prediction, but my prediction is that the writers are going to completely. Um, Come out of left field. Yeah. With a great ending. And because that's what they do. They have just done that over and over again. And so I have full faith and trust in them. So there you are. Yep. They, I completely agree. Well, thank you to everybody who sent in feedback. We love your feedback. And we encourage you to submit that for the penultimate episode next week, which we're going to tell you about here in just a moment. The deadline is 5 p.m. Eastern on Wednesdays. You can contribute your 
uh, feedback by calling 304-837-2278 and leaving a voicemail message there. Or go over to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback and just uh, you have a form you can fill out and or you can attach an audio file or use our handy dandy uh, speak pipe widget to record a contribution. So, so many ways to do that. Also, follow us on Twitter at POI Podcast GSM. Now, I mentioned just a few minutes ago when we were talking about which shows we were going to do. Follow Golden Spiral Media on Twitter for that, and that is GSM Podcasts. Or check us out on Facebook over at facebook.com slash groups slash person of interest GSM. And then the the main Golden Spiral Media page on Facebook is facebook.com slash Golden Spiral Media. All right, Doug. What's next week? Next week. uh, Next week, the title of the episode is .exe. And for those of you who go back a long ways with Windows, that's the typical extension of a program file. So that's just, you know, program, uh, program. We'll see what that means. I uh, didn't know what synecdoche uh, uh, meant this week. Maybe we'll find out what .exe means next week. As Reese and Shaw race to catch up with Finch, he infiltrates a maximum security government facility in a desperate mission, which could mean the end not only for Samaritan, but for himself and the machine as well. On Person of Interest, Tuesday, June 14th at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And, um, wow. That's uh, that sounds like it's uh, we're we're winding up to a very big finale. We've got all the usual uh, suspects: Reese, Finch, Fusco, Shaw, and Root. I guess as voice, we'll have Greer, uh, a senator, Senator Garrison, and Nathan Ingram coming back. As you know, that's going to be great. Mm-hmm. And keep an eye out for Quincy Darius Delintz. That's a whale of a name. You're not going to forget it. He's the valet. Mm. Watch him. Watch him. Got to keep an eye on the valets. Absolutely. You never know what they're going to do. They get your car, for goodness sake. (laughs) This episode will be written by, has been written by, because it's already been written, Greg Plagman and Eric Mountain. Greg Plagman, of course, the showrunner. Oh, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And directed by Greg Plagman. Oh, so this has got to be a bang episode. Yeah, that's good. The EXE could refer to Finch... Uh, running the virus program that he just downloaded this week. Could be, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tune in that's, next that's, week. That's the obvious one. Yeah. Find out. In the penultimate episode. Yes, indeed. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to our episode today. We've had a great time talking about person of interest. We have two of these left. We're going to make the most of them. I hope you will be along with us the rest of the way as well. And uh, and that's it. That's going to bring us to a close for this week. And I will part with... I'm Daryl, of course. I think you know that by now. And I'm going to go make sure that all the license plates are secured on my car. <laughs> and I'm Doug saying that if your number comes up, we hope there's a man in a suit or a software giant, a former bank robber, and a former pot dispensary owner watching over you. <laughs>